Welcome in to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. This is our new uh, special uh, retro review uh, episode of the podcast. We're going to be doing this uh, each and every Friday uh, here on uh, the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. And uh, I am going to welcome in here for the very first edition of our retro review series here on the podcast, uh, our friend Andy Perez, who, uh, as you know, is the host of of Dissecting Dynamites, and um, Andy and I have done uh, plenty of podcasts at this point. We've done uh, a lot of Dissecting Dynamites, but uh, Andy, this one, uh, even for our first retro review here, going to feel a little different because, uh, you know, we we wanted to start this new series, and uh, the timing of it certainly uh, coincides with the uh, recent passing of uh, Brody Lee, a.k.a. Luke Harper, uh, a.k.a. John Huber, um, who uh, passed away unexpectedly at the age of 41, and uh, we wanted to, to go ahead and, and decide that, hey, if we're going to look back at something uh, this particular week, uh, we want it to be based around him, and uh, that's why we decided on uh, a pretty incredible match, Andy, uh, going all the way back to 2014, Elimination Chamber, uh, The Shield versus The Wyatt Family. Yeah, a, an amazing match to start off the new series with. I mean, I, I, I love going back and watching shows from this era because uh, – because I was actually I was actually on a break from watching wrestling between like 2011 and 2015 or so, and uh, obviously I've gone back and uh, and revisited all the shows since then, caught up, but uh, but revisiting the, these shows that I wasn't fully engaged with the uh, with the wrestling world at the time, it's always really interesting and fun, and and usually during these rewatches I'm focusing on the Shield because it's hard not yeah. to with stars like uh or with future stars like Moxley, Reigns, Rollins in the mix, but uh. But on these rewatches over the past week, I, I was really reminded on how massive the Wyatt family was at this point. Yeah, they, they were. And uh, as we'll mention uh, at the end of the podcast, you and I will have actually, by the time this uh, we're recording this, before actually the, the AEW Dynamite uh, tribute to, to Brody Lee on Wednesday. So, and, and you and I will be talking about that uh, on Dissecting Dynamite. So by the time you listen to this podcast, this will already be up. Uh, the Dissecting Dynamite will be up on YouTube. So, we will uh, put that in the link uh, here that you can go back and check out our thoughts on that show. And uh, certainly we'll both uh, have a lot of thoughts on our reaction uh, to Brody Lee's uh, unexpected passing and just uh, the tribute show in general uh, and our favorite memories uh, we went over on Dissecting Dynamite. So you can go back and uh, check that out. And uh, we'll mostly uh, talk more about kind of our favorite memories uh, of him throughout this episode. But we also did it uh, quite a bit on that, that Dissecting Dynamite episode. So you can check that out. As well, but let's jump into uh, this match and uh, some of the stuff we do here on the Retro Review series. We'll do full shows for the most part, but we wanted to single out just this match because it is one uh, very memorable. Uh, if you look at, at Brody Lee, and you know a lot of people use cage match and and such, you look at all the different ratings. Uh, this is still the highest rated match uh, of his uh, th- that he will have had on cage match. If you look at just uh, the overall ratings uh, from people on there, got a nine point three one, two hundred thirty five votes on that. Uh, again, everything's subjective. You can decide what the best matches were. He had a lot of good ones, but uh, this is the one that sort of uh, takes the cake for a lot of people. Uh, Dave Meltzer gave this one uh, four and a quarter stars. I think a lot of people have always said they felt like that was too low. Uh, and they, in fact, uh, had another match that we'll talk about here in a bit between these two teams uh, that happened just uh, eight days later. Uh, but we'll get to that here in a bit. But this was uh, the Wyatt Family versus the Shield. Elimination Chamber 2014, February 23rd, 2014 at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Andy, the first thing that stood out to me about this match, um, my goodness, the crowd. Like, I, I thought about that as I was rewatching this, and I was like, 
I still, to this point, I don't think, can completely grasp how much different it is now. We're sitting here talking at the end of 2020. How surreal it's been not to have a crowd in attendance. And then you go back and rewatch some of this stuff, and it's like, you, you almost it's almost become like the norm now for us not to see a complete crowd and a full arena. But when you go back and watch something like this, it just magnifies it even more. And, and that's the thing. The crowd here is just irreplaceable. Like, like right. We, even before the bell, the crowd with the, this is awesome chant. This is awesome. This is awesome. And then, uh, and then during the face off between the two teams or between the two factions, rather you have, uh, the dueling chance, uh, for, for the Wyatts and then for the shield, I mean, the the crowd is just electric here, and, and and for good reason. I mean, both both of these factions are at a crucial point in their careers. I mean, in the build up to this, you start seeing some more cracks in the shield, some disagreement between uh between Roman and Dean actually, and then uh and then in in the rematch that followed this, uh, I believe that was the match where actually Seth walked out on the shield, yep. wasn't it? But uh yeah, but 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 then leading up to this match uh. Uh, we, we see that Seth is the glue holding them together. And then, as we know, the architect would end up uh, splitting up the shield uh, just a little while later with a couple of chair shots. But both the Wyatts and the shield would, would split up in the in the coming months following this match. But at this point, both of these factions were arguably the hottest they had ever been. Yeah, no, they they were at the top of their game, both of them. And that's what made this match so special. You, you mentioned it. That was kind of the theme going into this match was they were building up sort of the cracks and the chemistry of the shield. You didn't really necessarily see that play out a ton in this match, but I think you could still kind of sense heading into it, that's what a lot of people were thinking was, okay, maybe what's the next step? And of course, we eventually saw what the next step was. As you said, that match they had eight days later, uh, which a lot of people loved as well. They, you know, you could compare the two. Uh, I still think this one's better than the one that they had on Raw uh, that, that next week. But uh, still, you had Seth walk out, and it, it made for a, an interesting dynamic because you could kind of continue to see things growing, and then based on the Wyatts winning this particular match at Elimination Chamber, uh, it just set up a lot of different scenarios, and, and that's how we saw things play out. But that was something, too. You know, we talk about the crowd. I mean, how many matches, which, you know, we could probably find them when you have, like, the main event matches, of course. The one everyone's always going to point to, I think, is The Rock versus Hogan at WrestleMania 18. Like, before the match even starts, you've just got the people that are just losing their minds. They're insane. But, like, this was this was insane, the way that you said it. I mean, they're having dueling chants of, of let's go Wyatt's, let's go Shield. Uh, this is awesome before the match even starts. And then... The match does start, and it's like, this is what I always point out, Andy, when I talk about some of this stuff. You know, I think back to that, I don't remember which WrestleMania it was, but it was like the Triple H and Orton match where going into it, like it was an absolute blood feud where those two were just, you know, I think they had all the stuff with Stephanie, and it was like, you thought these two were just going to completely rip each other apart as soon as the bell rang, but it never happened, and you felt disappointed by it, but like, you thought these two teams were going to really just go at it immediately, and my God, they did, because as soon as the bell rang, like, these two just <laughs> unleashed, like, holy hell on each other, and I thought that was just a great open to this match. Right, exactly. Not only was it uh, was it death and destruction, you had great character work right off the bat, too. We had uh, we had Dean pacing around like a like a lunatic. <laughs> we had we had Bray over there playing the mind games like the master manipulator he is, uh, just inciting Dean. Uh, like I said, the the dueling chance, the let's go Wyatt, the let's go sh- let's go Shield, and then uh, and then right right after right after the stare off, we have Dean jumping the gun, just attacking the Wyatts. So, so so right off the bat, we have some clearly defined characters, and and when you think about it, both of these teams 
we're, we're, we're just, uh, what, two years into their WWE main roster run. Yeah. So, so to have these clearly defined characters in such a short amount of time and, uh, really tent polling this uh this elimination chamber card uh back back in 2014 and it, it, uh, gosh it, it amazing amazing stuff well let's talk about Brody Lee for a second of course I'll probably just keep calling him Brody Lee even though we know he was he was Luke Harper in this match but uh just the the recency and just kind of that's you know that's what we've come to know him as talking about AEW and and all that um but I just the, the, I watched this match and there were so many different things that stand out, um, and the stuff we pointed out throughout his entire career that we could tell, and you always heard people mention, you know, this guy just such a unique skill set for a big man in wrestling, and, you know, we always drew the parallels to Bruiser Brody, and I think you saw some of those mannerisms here for, from him in this match. It was just, you know, he had that just that monster-like um, character, but at the same time, like he could wrestle like a lot of different styles. Like he just wasn't your big man that's going around chopping guys, um, you know, and just picking up people and doing body slams. That was never more evident than in this match because throughout this match, you had him hit that massive drop kick that he had on on Moxley. Which again, I'm going to call him Moxley Ambrose. I'll, I'll probably differ throughout this, but um, I think you know it was fun to watch those two interact. But man, my goodness, like Brody Lee's offense when he goes for he does a drop kick like that. You know, he did the suicide dive, and then there's this incredible sequence in this match, which I forgot about this until I went back and watched it. But you have the sequence where he goes up top. And he goes for a German suplex on Seth Rollins, but Seth Rollins reverses it, lands on his feet, clotheslines Brody Lee over the top, and then hits a suicide dive to the floor. That was just, I mean, the crowd lost their minds during that sequence, but that's what thats what I mean with this guy. I mean, you look back at his career and the fact that, you know, he was able to do some of the stuff that he did, that's why I think people will always remember him as like, he was not your just traditional big man. Like he was of another breed um, he had all those things he could do as just this monster type character, monster heel. But at the same time, like he had the skill set of a very, very talented all around wrestler. And I think that's what made him just a, a really, really special talent. Yeah, just just an extremely unique performer all around. And yeah, like you said, JBL and, and Cole were on commentary remarking, uh, as many have, uh, comparing comparing Luke Harper to uh, to Bruiser Brody to to Stan Hansen. Uh, and, and then Harper's offense, like you said, always, always entertaining. The uppercuts, the big boots, the the discus clotheslines, uh, uh, an amazing looking black hole slam. And because of his size, whenever he did do stuff like a drop kick or, or even like just a vertical suplex or, or a suicide dive, it always looked super, super impressive. I mean, I mean, he, he always showed how massive and dominant and how scary he could be. But pairing that with an element of of agility that you that you don't usually see with men of his size, and then flash forward to six years later. I mean, just this year, uh, and that's the predominant style of wrestling that we see today, uh, particularly in AEW. And he's hanging with guys like Cody, guys like Frankie Kazarian, uh, Moxley, uh, Omega, Page, and he's up there putting uh, top tier performances. Uh, you don't see a you don't see a performer like uh, like Brody Lee, like Luke Har- like Luke Harper, very often. That's what a uh, Something like that is what makes this loss so difficult to take as a fan of as a fan of the industry. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, I think it's just something like you said. I, this match was just a perfect example of 
all the different things he could do, um, you know, even just his offense and just uh, there were a couple points in the match where, you know, him and Moxley or again, Ambrose, uh, they're, they're facing off. And then uh, you've got, you know, him taunting Roman Reigns. And I thought it was interesting to look at Roman Reigns during this as well, because, man, it's like six years ago is not that long ago, but it feels like in WWE terms, like it's been forever because Roman Reigns, such a different character at this point I mean you had the crowd like they were so into Roman Reigns and like we think about how quickly that turned uh whenever you know it it did I mean like just think about how quickly things turned on that once the shield broke up and then you know the crowd sort of realized that the WWE decided you know that Reigns was kind of that next John Cena and I think from there you know the crowd felt like you know fans felt like they weren't the ones deciding this and it was almost like you know it was out of their hands and I think that's where you had a lot of the changes in opinions towards Roman Reigns, but it was interesting to watch him here in this match as well because um, you know you, you had like you had some of the members of the crowd like chanting for Roman Reigns, um, you know, and you had him kind of playing up as sort of this this alpha dog of this group, uh, and people loved that, and I think that was one of the things that until they had this recent he'll turn with Roman Reigns. That's what everybody had been calling for. They wanted to see that side where this guy just comes out. um, You know, he's not on the microphone. He's not trying to do this or that. He's just out trying to pretty much kick people's asses. And I think that's exactly what you got in this match from him. That's the thing. And, and, And the framework was there. I mean, there's a reason that WWE went with him and pushed for him so hard. I mean, he, he looks like a star even back in, back in 2014, but yeah, it's really interesting to see like how he was working then, or even how Bray was working uh, with with this uh, iteration of the character versus how he works now as as the fiend, but yeah, uh, and even seeing the other members of the shield, how they kind of like embody these, I guess like mercenary roles. Uh, Roman with uh, just focusing on the strikes, Dean's kind of like a like dirtiness, and, and we kind of see that uh, carry over to to what he's doing now as John Moxley, and then Seth's like uh, tactical roles and stuff that he uses to get around the ring. Just the way that they. Uh, that they, they they embody these versions of the characters is uh is very interesting to see at this point in their career. Uh, do do you have a preference? I mean, looking at the work that Bray is doing here between uh between this version of Bray versus uh, some of the amazing stuff that he's been doing as the fiend the the past uh the past year or so. You know, I still think, and, and watching it back, I still think that at the height of the normal, regular sort of Bray Wyatt character. And of course he wasn't normal or regular in any way, but like just that, that normal iteration of it. I still think that's the best that that he's done. And I think there was, there were so many situations there. I remember, you know, so many people have brought it up. What was that? I don't remember the year exactly. Maybe it was 2015 or something where he lost all those pay-per-view matches in a row. And it's like he was never put in a position to win the big one. I think there were so many different times, especially during this, like even even in this match in 2014, like you could tell, like this guy was on another level than so many other people. And of course, we know, you know, a month later, basically here, he faces John Cena at WrestleMania. But it's just like they never kind of it felt like he was never in that position to be you know, the guy overall, like he may be been one of the guys um, and all that, but I just felt like his character was so different at the height of just that, that, that beginning sort of iteration of it. I thought that was the absolute best that he's done. And again, even for someone who's liked the stuff he's done at the fiend, although I think, you know, there've certainly been some starts and stops with that. I remember back to, you know, the hell in a cell with, with Rollins and all that. Like, I felt like that was a point where that character, even though he's done a good job, kind of bringing it back and doing a lot of different things, that was a point where you felt like, oh boy, like this is a big, big step in the wrong direction. 
but I just felt like with with the normal sort of Bray Wyatt character, it was so different and it is so unique. And I think when he had this group around him, you know, with Harper and Rowan, um, and even you know when Strowman was there as well, it just felt like like this is sort of that that. I don't want to call it a peak because it was, that's not saying it in a bad sense, but like this felt like the very top of his game. Um, and I just, again, watching this back, you could just tell like all of his mannerisms, all the things that he did, um, just an absolutely brilliant character. And I just, I wish it was one of those situations where maybe he wouldn't have been put in a position where they kind of put him in behind the eight ball or didn't give him that chance to really get that huge, huge breakthrough win, uh, in some of those situations where he thought he should have. Uh, exactly, I I I couldn't agree more, and and especially like uh, leading after this match, obviously the uh, the Wyatts walk out on top, and uh, and an amazing showing for both them and the Shield. But this led, like you said, to to Bray facing off against Cena at WrestleMania, uh, and then Harper and Rowan they went off into their feud with uh with the Usos, also uh, resulted in some amazing matches. Probably one of my favorite matches with a. Uh, with Brody Lee around this period was uh was Harper and Rowan versus the Usos and uh, I I think it was at Battleground they had a two out of three falls match yes. but that was a uh, that was uh, amazing but then soon after that uh, Bray I get releasing Harper and Rowan setting them free uh, it, it it's a lot of me thinking oh what 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 could have been what should have been during this period. And and even though I'm happy that we got to see what Harper can do on his own, uh, his stuff with Dolph Ziggler, his stuff with the Inter- Intercontinental title, things of that nature, I still feel like this win here at Elimination Chamber could have been so much more uh, of a cannon shooting shooting the the Wyatt faction into into another stratosphere that that I just don't think that they ever ended up achieving. Yeah, it just and, and you know we've seen so many examples of that. I think of just kind of the start and stop type of scenario um, where we, we just see that so many times. And again, there's probably so many examples we could list throughout the years um, just of, of guys being in that position. And really, you know, even Luke Harper, Brody Lee, like you could say that in terms of, you know, WWE eventually put him in a position where, you know, he had some singles chances and opportunities. And I think a lot of people remember kind of the, you know, the, the feud he had with Randy Orton and such like that. But it's just, I think they're, what really stood out to me in this particular match, and obviously we've seen it play out since that point, but like all six of these guys in this match, like they they play such believable roles in terms of like you completely buy into all six of these guys, the three on the shield side, like you completely buy into their characters at this time, even with, as we said, it's kind of playing up some of the dissension for them heading into the match on the other side, like the Wyatt family, like these are just three completely nuts. Like they, they are just crazy. And, and I think that's something too, where, you know, we can talk about the in ring wrestling, like the technical skill and all this other stuff, but I think it's so hard. And sometimes maybe we don't give enough value to the guys who can just play up some of these characters the way that they can, um, other than just guys who want to win matches and, you know, do win a championship or something like there's always that element behind it. I think that adds that extra something. And you just had that in this match with all six of these guys. And I think that's why the shield and the Wyatt family got to the height that they did was because these were two factions where you knew immediately what was at stake. You knew immediately kind of what they were fighting for. And I think having that clearly defined sort of story and kind of clearly defined roles for all six of these guys, that's what made these two groups special. And of course, as we said, we we saw that play out here specifically uh, just in this match alone. Most definitely. Most definitely. And, and, 
I, I think maybe even more important than uh, maybe even more important than the ring work, maybe even more important than the character work was just that it felt it felt legitimate. I mean, you see some taglines for for matches today. Like, uh, I mean, the first one that pops into my head is is backlash, like the the best match of all time or the greatest match of all time, whatever that was. Uh, but here, this match was built on who is the dominant faction in the WWE. And at this time, you had the Shield, you had the Wyatts, and there really was no other question. Of course, you have uh, Evolution having to come back to contend the Shield uh, a little bit after after WrestleMania and whatnot. But still, uh, who is the dominant faction in the WWE? And at this time, you you could tell by by the crowd's reaction, even before the match even started, people wanted to see it. People were eager to see the outcome of this match. They were, and uh, it's just uh, so many different instances. Like I said, we've, we've kind of talked about just the overall scope of these two factions overall, but but I really do think this was a match that sort of defined it. Um, there was something else as I was watching this. I thought back on, you know, Jerry Lawler was one of the ones that, um, you know, sent a tweet out after, after Brody Lee had passed away, and um, his tweet said, you know, the thing I remember about Luke was how respectful he was. On several occasions, he destroyed our announce table, but when he was done, my phone was untouched, my notes and run sheets undisturbed, and my monitor intact. Then he would look back and give me a wink. Um, I thought that was great because, of course, in this match, you had a spot where it wasn't the uh, the English commentary team. It was the uh, the Spanish announce table, which, as we know over the years, has just uh, taken a beating. But uh, I was thinking about that after they, uh, you know, Harper and, and Rowan, they chokeslam uh, Seth Rollins through the announce table uh, as Bray Wyatt was over there just watching with his sadistic smile. And I was thinking, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if uh, you know, Luke Harper went back after that and just uh, kind of cleaned up the announce table there because I, I thought that was such a, such a great memory, <laughs> you know, and so many memories as we know have come in uh, about just how universally loved this guy was but I thought that was that was kind of funny to, to look back on and think about that yeah yeah and and this is actually one of my favorite uh one of my favorite announce table spots in in recent years I mean it's so simple but Harper and Rowan just elevating Rollins up with that choke slam I mean these guys are massive and Rollins just goes flying almost to the point where when he's coming back down it seems like he's trying to find his uh find his footing before he takes the bump on his back just because oh my gosh he must have been <laughs> 12 feet up there but the height the elevation followed by the shots and the celebration after uh just just leading into the spot where all the wyatts surround roman after they've picked apart the other two shield members just iconic yeah i mean a tale of two great factions but the th- but the end of it was that the unity of the wyatt family just overcame the the force of the shield i mean harper and rowan looked dominant uh wyatt looked really calculative I mean, I mean they 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 won the battle of supremacy and, and and going back and like you said reading all of the all of the tweets reflecting on on Brody's career reflecting on on uh on this body of work that he's left behind uh I mean just look at the great matches he's delivered this past year uh versus Moxley at double or nothing yep. uh Cody with the dog collar match that crazy uh 12 person tag versus the elite and FTR uh at, on Dynamite I mean, we were just, we were finally in the midst of this solo run that we'd been hoping to see Brody get a hold of for years. And for that to be cut short, for such a good man to be taken, not only from the fans, not only from his AEW family, but like from his wife and kids. I mean, it, it really is, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And and you saw it, you know, again, in, in this match, it was just, you, you could tell when he was in there, um, as we said, just the, the offense for a guy that big, 
and just the, the mannerisms, the character, like he just, he had it all. And I think it was just one of those things where until you actually kind of saw him get that chance. And of course, you know, he was surrounded by the dark order in AEW, but you know, even just his presence, like it was very unique. And, you know, we, we talk about the bruiser Brody, you know, connections and all that, but I mean, I don't know. Like it was just that this guy had a very unique, you know, skill set, and that's what we talk about. He was just a very unique talent, and um, you know, it just was was so interesting to go back and watch him. You know, going up against Moxley, knowing the matches they would have years later in AEW, knowing that they would have that match at Double or Nothing, um, and then just to, to see all the different things he could do, uh, I really do. And you know, I probably could go back and watch a lot of his other matches, and I'm probably going to watch more of them uh, here over the next several weeks, just to kind of you know reflect back on. Him, but I really think this match in particular is one where you know he had singles matches in WWE beyond this uh, he had plenty of great tag team matches of course him and Rowan uh, would go on to you know be the Bludgeon Brothers which I thought was one that had a lot more legs to it than what they were given uh, but you know there was also circumstances around that with Rowan's injury and such that didn't allow him to do that but um, I just thought there were so many different aspects that this guy brought to the table and uh, this was just one of those matches where when you think back I think on his career and really just these two groups in particular you're always going to note that this match right here is one that I don't want to say that this was a match that that made these six guys because they were already as we said they were already had, had reached a level that was very very high and a lot of people never reach but I mean just to see them kind of in this iteration in 2014 and kind of where all of these guys would go from there uh pretty remarkable right and, and another thing I noticed during this is that uh I'm pretty sure Brody Lee was 35 years old his entire life. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because because I'm looking at him here and I'm like, oh man, this guy could have popped up on uh, on Dynamite back in September and I wouldn't have blinked an eye. He looks <laughs> he he looks to say he, all, all he did was switch out a was switch out a sweaty uh, tank top for for a triple triple breasted suit, but, <laughs> but 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 yeah, he looked exactly the same. Just crazy, huh? Yeah, there was another spot I think in this match, and I I forgot who sent the tweet, but you know there was somebody. Well, I can't remember. It's going to bug me. I'll probably have to go back and look for it. But someone had said, you know, when he wore the the tank tops that he had as Luke Luke Harper, it was, you know, he, somebody he would get mad if someone ripped him. Um, I don't remember who sent the tweet about that, but there was one point in this match where I think someone had him in the corner. I don't remember who it was. It may have been Roman. It may have been uh, one of the other guys. But um, I started to see like they were grabbing at his shirt, and I was like, oh no, like please don't rip the shirt. Like I remember seeing the tweet about how he didn't like that. Like, please don't rip the shirt. Um, I don't know if it ever actually happened. I don't think it did, but I was thinking about that too but it's just you know it's so many memories like that and you know again I, I say this all the time but I, I hate that it takes something like this for for people to share you know all these different just great memories but I know you know that's kind of you know human nature and, and sort of the way things are and um, but man just to, to think back on all these different memories and that's something too you know I will tell you, Andy, and, you know, again, this is not to take away from anything else. Obviously, any passing like this is just an, an absolute tragedy in these circumstances. But I don't know that I've ever, in, in this situation, seen a guy that has gotten so many, like, memories, so just universally loved. Like, we use maybe that term sometimes, but, like, I have not seen one person come out and say, like, oh, well, I had a problem with this guy, or you've never heard anything about... Luke Harper, Brody Lee, John Huber, to where it's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, you re rethink how you look at this guy. 
everything is just like the nicest guy ever, great human being, a loving husband, loving father, um, unbelievable performer. Like it just seems like you think about all the different connections he's had. Went from back, you know, in Chikara to Dragon Gate to all these other places, WWE, AEW, of course. It's just like this guy has had so many opportunities over the years to impact other people's lives and like he never took that for granted like it just seems like he had a story with everyone and he was always doing something and and again that makes it even harder to know that we're watching this match from six years ago uh in 2014 sort of at a point where like you feel like he's just getting started and even six years later like it felt like he was just getting started again in AEW, uh, and just to have that you know the circumstances surrounding it and to have him pass away it's just like you said it's just heartbreaking yeah, from from what it seems, uh, the the reactions that are spread across the wrestling world, uh, it was a guy that did nothing but but spread grace and joy wherever uh, wherever he went, and and that was obviously reflected in the in the body of work that he's that he's that he's left behind. I mean, like the the, the joy and the excitement is shown in and in the, these matches that we can go back and watch. And, and speaking of like when when we're looking at this uh, at this match at Elimination Chamber 2014, when we're talking about the. Uh, the best matches of uh of Brody Lee's career. Where do you think this uh this stacks up in the mix? Because uh, I I mean we've listed off uh, quite a bit already, but uh what what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean I would have to say there there's no way I would put it outside my top five or honestly maybe even top three because I just I think about you know and it's hard right because these guys wrestle so many different so many matches and and I think because. It's gotten to the point where we're we're so fortunate to have all the wrestling available to us that we have to where, you know, you could literally, you know, 24 hours a day sit around and watch wrestling for the next 15 years and you're never going to be able to catch up on everything probably. Uh, it's just so much out there. But I do think this is one that I always think about. And that's why, you know, I decided I was like, look, this is a match if we're going to talk about Brody Lee, like I feel like. This is one of those matches, you know, I thought about the match with Moxley at Double or Nothing because I think that's one, too, that maybe didn't get enough credit. And, of course, as we say all the time, everything's subjective. Either you like it or don't. It's your own, you know, everyone has different styles that they enjoy. But I love that match. I thought it was really good. Um, But, you know, the other one that you mentioned with with Harper and Rowan against the Usos and that two out of three falls, that was another one that that immediately popped into my mind. Um, There's just been so many throughout, I think, his career. And, you know, that's even the thing, too, is – you know, you think back, like, there's a lot of it that probably a lot of people didn't see. Like, the stuff with Chikara, as we said, like, Dragon Gate, all those different, like, matches that he had with people that are in different companies now. And you think back, and you're like, oh, you didn't even realize that he had matches against some of these guys unless you sort of followed the trajectory of their careers. Um, and so th- there's so much stuff out there. And as I said, that's why... I think we are so fortunate to kind of live in this era where the internet is our best friend to where we can go back and look up stuff that we had never had access to uh, or never even thought about watching and certainly have a chance to do that. And I have no doubt that there have been a lot of people uh, that have certainly done that here over the past week or so. Right, right. And, and it's a lot to reflect on and it's a lot to uh, to look back on too. I mean, uh, if there's if there's anything that I think contends with uh, contends with this match, it's probably like you said, his match uh, versus Moxley uh, at at Double or Nothing. Uh, I I really enjoyed his feud with uh, with Cody Rhodes as well. But yeah, when, when you're looking back at his career, uh, it's either 20, 2020 or twenty fourteen when you're when you're trying to uh, to stack up his career match. I mean, I, I believe the Ziggler ladder match was in was in twenty fifteen maybe. Yeah. So maybe that's an outlier. But yeah, these two years were. Uh, were just premier premier years uh for for Brody Lee. Yeah, for sure and uh, again, he certainly left a legacy 
as we said, uh, just uh, man, so many great memories. And and as as we're talking, like and we're we're people that did not know him personally or professionally. Like it's just incredible to think about the impact he's had on so many different people. Uh, but certainly, he's had an impact on wrestling fans too, as you've seen uh, from all the uh, you know just just heartfelt tributes and memories and everything. Uh, just uh, an incredible performer, and uh, that was certainly the case here in this uh, match at Elimination Chamber 2014 between the Wyatt family and the Shield. But uh, Andy, uh, it was great to kind of reflect on this. Uh, as we said, uh, we're recording this before we actually do uh, our Dissecting Dynamite, uh, which we'll be doing you know, somewhat similar uh, thoughts and reflections on Brody Lee and uh, just his career, and we'll be talking uh, a lot about that show, uh, uh, AEW's tribute show that they're doing for him on Dynamite. So you'll be able to access that by the time you listen to this, and I will include it uh, in the link uh, there in the show notes. But uh, anything else, Andy, But before we wrap up uh, here, this uh, retro review, as we said, we certainly said a lot about uh, the life of John Huber, Brody Lee, uh, Luke Harper, but uh, man, just uh, again, just a pretty incredible performer. Yeah, and an amazing, amazing performer. Like you said, if uh, if you guys would like to hear us speak more on Mr. Brody Lee's career, uh, we did an entire episode of Dissecting Dynamite, uh, dedicated a, a tribute show to uh, to Brody Lee. So go and find that on 411's YouTube. You can catch Dissecting Dynamite on 411's YouTube channel every other Wednesday. Uh, right there on 411mania.com. So uh, so make sure you keep an eye out for it. We have some other uh, some other good content coming on 411's YouTube channel here this month. Uh, we have a top five matches of 2020 list coming out in just a little bit. And then at the end of the month, closer to the Royal Rumble, we are going to have a, uh, a little feature, a little mini doc on the history of the surprise Royal Rumble entrance. So make sure you guys keep a lookout for that as well. Yeah, we'll put the link to everything uh, in, on the YouTube channel uh, in the show notes. And uh, as Andy mentioned, uh, Royal Rumble coming up uh, here in January, as this will be released on January 1st. So, um, yeah, be sure to check out all of that. And uh, we'll actually be uh, dedicating a lot of these retro reviews here over the next several weeks to the Royal Rumble. And we'll look back at uh, some random uh, Royal Rumble shows. Uh, we may even get Andy back on as well. I know he's a big fan of the Rumble, as he said. So, uh, we'll oh, be it's sure. my favorite, my favorite. <laughs> we'll We'll be sure to get Andy back on for one of those uh, here over the next several weeks. But, uh, yeah, check all that stuff out on the 411 YouTube channel. Check everything out over at 411mania.com. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Any podcast app you use, you can find us there. And if you enjoy the show, uh, leave a nice five-star rating review. That just helps the show reach more people. Uh, and this is, as I kind of teased, sort of a revamped uh, podcast here moving forward. We've got some ideas we're working with, and uh, we're, we're kind of putting out a new format. And, uh, of course, we've already put out uh, an episode uh, earlier in the week looking at our Wrestle Kingdom 15 preview, uh, but we have a lot of different stuff on the way, and uh, we'll talk more about it here on future episodes uh, here as we're kind of going through a new format uh, here on the podcast, but uh, be sure to check it out, and as usual, uh, we will put the link to the uh, GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes. That way, uh, you can continue to share it. Uh, we always appreciate that, and uh, for everything else, uh, you can follow uh, things over 41mania.com, and uh, thanks as always for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.